Yo, what's going on, guys and gals? It's your boy Zay, representing that culture of that brand, back again with a brand new Culture Dad podcast. You know what it is. It's the place where we discuss all things dad, which is simply all things. Now, before we get into it, quick verbal disclaimer. Although we may discuss daddy issues, family issues, and the like, this podcast is intended for mature audiences. Here is where we have real talk, repping and from a daddy's perspective. Your discretion is advised. All right, welcome back to episode number 31 of the Cult of Dad podcast. Today we're bringing to you relationship series number three. This is where me and my lady, Miss Allison Reynoso. Hi. We get together, we discuss all of our thoughts on relationships and different things that pertain to it. Now, if you haven't been aware, if you haven't been on social media, we, our ex, our family had a little accident last week. So Cult of Dad, all of my shenanigans here with the Cult of Dad community has been on hiatus for the last week as we've been taking care of ourselves. People have been recovering. So we are back. We thought we'd come together for this relationship series episode so we could talk to y'all about it, share our thoughts, um, express ourselves on that a little bit and just catch all up on what's been happening. So is there anything you want to say, babe, before uh, we dive right into the episode? Sure. I just uh, just say my name. It's Allison Reynoso, and I'm happy to be here and just to be able to share and express what's going on. Well, thank you again for joining us, Allison Reynoso. Be sure to check out Fresh Air Coaching. She does some amazing work, um, spirituality, life coaching stuff. So we'll get into more of that at the end of the episode. But for now, let's dive right in. All right, so like we were just saying, um, so last Sunday was last Sunday, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, we had a little bit of a a little bit of a mishap. Well, more than a mishap, we we were definitely in an accident. Um, although, like I say, kind of like my stroke. If you're gonna have any type of stroke, that was the stroke to have. For those who don't know, I had a stroke a couple years ago. I bounced back pretty quick. If you're going to have a stroke, that's the type of stroke to have. If you are going to get an accident, this is probably be the accident to have. We were hit by a motorized bike, but I'm ever so grateful that it was not a car or something much bigger mm-hmm. because um, that was a scary, scary moment. Mm-hmm. So, Allison, please, if you want to recap the story and share your thoughts, I would love to hear your perspective on it. I'll be, I will uh, drop my thoughts and share my side of the story afterwards. Sure. Well, I, I like to begin by saying that out of the accident, one of my takeaways was an appreciation for the things I do have, appreciation for health and for just being able to breathe, you know, an appreciation for my heart, uh, my family, my son, my man. And um, it was pretty fast. I mean, things just happen really, really fast. Mm-hmm. It's like you go on on your daily routine and you never know when something that is going to shift your attention, it's going to happen. In this case was, like you mentioned, uh, we were hit by a motorized bike. Um, it was an accident. He crossed the red light and 
basically we ended up in the emergency room um, in the hospital hospital for one night Um, extremely grateful that Zayden our son um, he had a who took the brunt of injuries exactly which as a dad pissed me the fellas you know yeah no I I get it I um it was very scary and even the doctors were saying how lucky he was that not more he didn't suffer more damages you know well I think that was the the biggest blessing throughout the whole thing that was also the biggest fear right um the aspect of you seeing your child your small helpless child who you know as parents we take it as our duty to protect them to watch out for them and seeing them hurt and having that have happened particularly in front of me um that aspect of not having been able to be in a position to do more or to have prevented it altogether um it's really disconcerting very disconcerting so what was your biggest takeaway from it um i would have to say my biggest takeaway from the experience was it was a lot like you said just a reminder of um the blessings and um just how valuable the the blessings that we do have are and how easy it is to take for granted Mm -hmm. um for me specifically um like having a condition like my sickle cell and going in and out of hospital every so often Mm -hmm. and dealing with um setbacks let's just say setbacks Mm -hmm. oftentimes these moments are often reminders of what's important and um how blessed I actually am in certain perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, in this situation, was a, it was a lot different because it was you and it was Zayden who was hit directly on, and um, it was still a reminder of what's important. But it was m- less about me and more about wow, appreciating mm-hmm. our family, appreciating, um, you know, our son, this life that we created. Uh, appreciating you um and, and it was funny because the vibe from that day we we got into a little tiff in that morning we were a little bit at at, at odds with each other the energy was a little funny and something like that completely cleared away the slate because it was like how much time do we waste with these negative ne- that negative energy or these negative moments where we're like bitter about the dumbest dumbest things you know and then Mm -hmm. something like that comes that threatens to take it all away and it's like i couldn't i couldn't regret any more in that moment the waste of time that we Mm -hmm. that we had you know um so that was my biggest takeaway from from that that was my personal biggest takeaway from that i mean i i definitely had a lot of other nuanced takeaways from my perspective Mm -hmm. but um I think in that sense, like that, the big thing was just like, damn, value your family, value your loved ones, appreciate that time you have Mm -hmm. together because Mm -hmm. you never know what's going to happen. Like, Mm -hmm. it's so easy to think day to day, oh, it's just another day, rigmarole, usual routine, nothing out of the ordinary is going to happen and it's going to be the same. And you just never know. 
you just never freaking know. Mm-hmm. We, there was no way we could have anticipated or expected that that would be the day that somebody would hit you. You know, and 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 that could have gone left real fast. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that was my biggest takeaway. But I. Because I know we're getting into our kind of takeaways. Let me, let, let's just take a momentary break and then we can dive in and actually recap what happened that day. Okay. So to quickly recap the story, um, I'm gonna try to make a long story short. (laughs) Uh, Like I said, we got into a little bit of a tiff that morning and it was kind of silly in a lot of ways. Um, But we left the house relatively angry with each other. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, As soon as we got outside of our complex, um, we were going to the parking garage to get our car. As soon as I was carrying, I was pulling the shopping cart so typically we both would have our son's hand on either side, but I was pulling the shopping cart. Y'all were a step ahead of me or so. He was holding his hand. As soon as we stepped into the crosswalk when we had the light, um, all of a sudden I see you two just get wiped out completely. I didn't even realize what it was. I just see something smash into you both and uh, y'all go flying. And I see you fall and then I see Zayden get dragged down um, a couple of feet. And it took a moment before I even realized that it was a bike that hit y'all. I, I honestly, I was like, is that a car? I, you know, in those instantaneous moments that seem to happen in slow-mo, that it's just like, you can have so many thoughts rush across your brain and it's just a moment, you know? It was like, what the fuck was that? Was that a car? And then it was like, when my eyes finally caught up to the action, I see my son being dragged and I'm like, it's a bike. And I see the guy flip over and fall and bust his face and stuff on the concrete. And my first instinct uh, as a dad, and this is my own thing, you know, we have this whole masculinity in the role of a man, of a father, it's to provide, it's to protect. You know, that protect, that protector instinct came in. And my first instinct was to um, haul ass and go beat that guy's ass, you know? Um, When I saw you get up, I knew you had the kid. I knew you was going to take care and comfort him. So I was just thinking, she got him. I'm going to get this motherfucker. And then, um, (laughs) and I I, I remember having him. He was down on the ground, rolling around like on his knees or whatever. And I put my knee in his back and I flipped him over. I put my knee in his back to keep him in place. And then I flipped him over and I had my hand cocked ready to swing. And then I just saw his face, which was just bloody, and his hair looked like it was hanging off and shit. And um, and I heard, you know, you screaming, and I heard the kids screaming, and it was like panic. Um, and you know, I had a moment of like realization that you know, me beating on this guy in the middle of the street is not the best, uh, maybe not the most appropriate thing for me to be doing at the at that moment. Like as again, that protective provider, I wanted to protect and my initial instinct was violence and then it was like I need to be here for my son not 
be here for revenge. <laughs> and so it was like, pull yourself together and try to think clearly. Um, at which point it was just like, let me grab my phone and start calling the cops. Security from our complex came and neighbors came and, and, and things escalated from there with, you know, police. I mean, with the EMS finally showing up and, you know, Fortunately, the culprit, he gave me his little little bit of his information, blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, we're at the hospital. We're panicking, clearly. Well, next thing you know, we're in the ambulance, you know, with our son. And it's just like trying to keep him calm. He was so, so hurt and just so he was bleeding. He was so confused. Um, I just remember him asking, like, when he finally calmed mm-hmm. down and stopped screaming, or we was trying to, like, Zayden, calm down, relax. I just remember him asking, like, so confused, like, what what happened? Mm-hmm. What happened to me? And just that thought, like, it all happened so fast, like, the kid don't even know what happened to him. He's one moment, he's crossing the street with mommy, and the next moment, he is on the ground, bleeding from here, there, God knows where. And we are in an ambulance, like, and he's just, like... <laughs> confused and in pain and we're sitting there like you know i'm just trying to comfort him but feeling like there's so much of nothing that i could do you know that helplessness um so that's what it was like for me just like a flash all of that and just like Mm -hmm. instantaneous i can only imagine what you was going through because you were actually hit but you didn't even realize you were hit until like hours hours later i kept asking you how you were doing you were like you're fine whatever focus on the kid yeah i mean it it it, again it was just one step forward and i didn't even remember falling at all it just happened so 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 fast i just remember cursing the guy out it's like what the fuck were you thinking it's like are you serious what what were you thinking and, this um, dumbass didn't have a helmet or nothing. It's ridiculous. He was going at least twenty miles an hour, running through a red light. Like, you know, a lot of if you live in a city or a highly dense populated area, and there's all these new Uber Eats and these delivery guys on their bikes and stuff, they just be on the roads as though they don't have to follow traffic roads, but they don't want to, ha- you know, be in the street and you know going high mm-hmm, speeds mm-hmm. and all of this, and then they don't. They're not taking any of the steps or precautions necessary to safeguard themselves or others. And I would say definitely keep that in mind when crossing the street, that don't assume that they will stop. Um, I didn't even see him coming. By the the time I realized uh, I saw him coming, he was already on top of me. So I took a first hit on my shoulder. Uh, I do remember once we got to the ambulance, feeling a little bit of pain, and you kept saying, "Why don't you check her?" I'm like, "Forget about me, just, just like I'm okay, basically." Um, and I'm grateful that once we got to the hospital, I mean, the staff was already—they were just waiting. They were on top of him, yeah. you know, the way they treated him and just doing X-rays, MRIs. It was very scary because they were not. It, it, it could have been so much worse, mm-hmm. like they said. Mm-hmm. And But all I kept thinking is, was, you know, he, for, first I was like, what did just happen? And after that, my instant was really, my heart was telling me he's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I, again, extremely grateful that things went well. Um, and we stayed overnight because they wanted to, well, it was good reason we stayed overnight. The um, 
the kids suffered some injuries. They weren't horrible, horrific injuries, but I mean, you saw his mouth was all messed up. He chipped a tooth. He lost a tooth. <laughs> he got scars and lacerations all over his face. His hands and knuckles were messed up. And then he had lumps all over his head. One of those lumps was in the back of his head, which you can't even really see too much because of his hair. Yeah. And then, but fortunately, the doctor's checking, you know, and then they were like, that lump on the back of his head was a, a, a fracture. And that's something to be concerned about, especially yeah. with the little one. You know, anybody getting a fracture, a fracture is, is, a, is a crack. Yeah. But and, you know, a crack in the skull and the skulls heal and exactly. people, yeah. you know, over time as bodies decay, you start to, when you start to see these skulls, you start to see people have all sorts of little fractures yeah. all over the place. But um, to hear that, you know, your son has a fracture, you need to monitor him and they're doing CAT scans and, and, and x-rays and MRIs is still, it's a scary thing. So yeah. the idea that we need to stay overnight and monitor him and all of that was like better safe than sorry t to me. You no, know? no, it makes sense. It makes sense. You know, by the next day he was playing around and being himself. So it was a good indication for us and for the doctors to say he, he's good enough. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, I, I kind of got a sense that he was going to be okay in the grander scheme once, you know, we were, I was able, once we were able to kind of calm him down in the ambulance and I was able to get some solid responses from him. Um, when I say that grander scheme, I mean, in that sense of like, you know, no long-term permanent brain damage and it seemed like, like he had some clarity of thought once he could get past the pain threshold. Now, was anything broken or anything else like that? I didn't know, but I was like, okay, he's gonna, he's gonna be okay. He's not dead, he's gonna be okay. Maybe his hand is less, who knows, because he had so much pain. Um, but then it was just going through the whole process yeah. that was just like a little bit by a little bit more confirming mm -hmm. of him being okay, which was the greater, the greater relief, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, so that was that was that's the basic recap of what happened that day, um, and then clearly we were there overnight. Um, was that the first time we were we'd have to stay overnight with yep. our son in the hospital like that? The yeah, first time. He, he's been in the hospital. You know, clearly kids get sick and whatever, and we've taken an emergency room, but he's never had to mm -hmm. stay overnight like that. Mm -hmm. um, which is funny because in our family, it's usually me who has to stay mm -hmm. overnight, <laughs> and. Um, he hasn't had to experience that as yet, which I'm grateful for. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm doing so well these days that I, I hope he never really has to experience mm -hmm. that. Um, but being on the other side of that was an interesting experience, to mm -hmm. say the least. I bet. <laughs> yeah, so let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll dive more into um, some other things that we learned throughout this process. Sound good? Yep. Cool. So, like I was saying, um, as I stated earlier in this podcast, and as anybody who's been following the culture of dad and the culture of rap uh, movement, you know, I, I've been dealing with sickle cell myself. Um, my entire life and I've dealt with going in and out of the hospital many times throughout my life. Um, this was like the first time 
as a parent, I'm sitting on the other end of it where I'm, you know, worrying and spending the night overnight to facilitate and keep him company and keep him feeling safe and secure. But this is something you go through a lot, just being with me. No, thank God it hasn't happened in a long time. Like, what, two or three years? Three years. I'm keeping count. This is the first time in my life I've never gone this long without any kind of hospitalization. So I'm in a pretty good run. Um, Uh, Definitely my... You have been my first experience, you know, caring for others, especially once we moved moved in together. Mm -hmm. Um, My parents are relatively young. Uh, I thank God I don't have to get healthy enough that they're taking care of themselves. So um, experiencing, I'll never forget experiencing the first pain crisis that you were going through. Mm. It was something I'd never seen before. Well, I got to give you kudos just for sticking it out because that was like our first vacation, which was our first effort to try to do anything as a serious couple, I think. Well, (laughs) that was the first hospitalization I think to that degree but the first time I experienced you having a pain crisis was before that Uh, and I again I I was panicking I had no idea what do I do next you know just feeling helpless Mm. and just not being able to fix it was a feeling of uh, just very uh, disempowering for me yeah I, I I can totally understand that, especially I know with me being on the opposite side of the table, which was exactly where our son was on Sunday, um, being so in the throes of pain and so just going through what you're going through, um, and it's almost overrides your brain capacity to communicate, mm-hmm. to function, to, mm-hmm. to do certain basic things that would let people know that you're mm-hmm. okay. You know, I know... Um, from that perspective of somebody dealing with a pain crisis or dealing with uh, certain extremities or something shutting down and having yeah. just that extreme physical um, just like a delay or for lack of a better term mm-hmm. a disability really I mean that's what my condition yeah. is um, so going through that I know how I can only imagine rather not that I know I can only imagine how crazy it must seem and look from the outside and how helpless one must feel to watch their loved ones yeah. going through something like that. Yeah. I think the first time I ever really experienced that, because I have, like, my sister Tashi has to go south, but um, me being the older, you know, I knew what to expect and I knew what that was like when I would see her have issues and be able to help her. But, like, I think the first time I ever really experienced that Whereas I consider myself as somebody who gives cares as a parent mm-hmm. is when our son used to have those febrile seizures, um, mm-hmm. which was kind of scary because, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you don't know what a seizure is, <laughs> you know, that's when people start to convulse and go into shakes. And, you know, it's almost like their ability to communicate and function really ceases and they're just in this kind of catatonic state. Um, febrile seizures is something that some small children go through where... Um, they may have that because their bodies um, are, n- are not able to handle certain things when they get when they get a fever and their body starts to shut down um, and, and until they get to a certain, I guess, body body weight where their bodies can handle a fever more more effectively. So our son would have those 
up until about three, he had a few of them, and then we had to. And I think that was probably my closest experience to feeling mm-hmm. what that's like, as far as that helplessness and that mm-hmm. inability to kind of communicate and get a grasp of what's going on, and mm-hmm. just trying to look at the signs of what's happening and make some sort of sense of it, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out the best steps, go to the hospital, go to the doctor describe what's happening i don't know what's happening this is what i'm seeing <laughs> um yeah. so i can only imagine from your perspective seeing um dealing with that with like me with somebody you're just dating <laughs> let alone you know our child yeah. um yeah. but i think that perspective gives gave me more insight into um what it is you you and others have dealt with as far as uh, caregiving for me. Of course. I mean, caregiving, when there is an, uh, an illness, it's different than when there is an illness or an injury or, in this case, an accident. Mm. Um, caregiving usually, you know, leaves you, has left me, you know, stressed out. Um, just feeling disempowered again, just feeling uh, overwhelmed, feeling that I have to do everything, feeling uh, separate and alone in some way, especially when there's an illness involved, uh, feeling um, just fed up and resentful sometimes. You know, that's that definitely used to be my experience with caregiving. Uh, I had found ways to um, I would say embrace it, just embrace the role of caregiving to, to a different level. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my mentors, uh, she describes caregiving as basically it's, it's a gift and it's a way that I get to show up and I get to be, uh, practice my essence, practice who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's being given to me by the universe for a reason, and I can either deny it or resent it or be mad about it, or I can sort of embrace it and learn from it and get the most out of it and use the resources that I see around me as opposed to, um, looking at it as something that I have to do alone. So, um, it's extremely important to to be present to to caregiving and to uh, see what kind of relationship do you have to yourself as a woman, as a human, but also how does that relationship affects your caregiving and what is your relationship to caregiving? Are you glad? Are you sad? Are you just fed up? Are you... And just take a look. You know, whatever it is, just take a look in, in making the steps and learning the skills to make this experience the best one possible. Now, that's an interesting point, I think, because, all right, like, I, I can kind of consider myself a caregiver, especially since becoming a parent. I can definitely consider myself a caregiver. You are. Um, I don't think prior to becoming a parent, I thought of myself as much of a caregiver as I do these days. But, um, you know, based off my personal experiences, just dealing with loved ones who get sick. I mean, I've always been one to give care, you know, 
And one of the big things that we talk about in the, in the culture of that community, when you visit the website, a lot of mm-hmm. the articles posted, I'm very big on self-care and self-love and giving that care to yourself as much as we give it to mm-hmm. others, because I recognize how easy it is for us to uh, give others the care and the love that we feel, you know, they deserve, that we feel should be doled out, but it becomes very easy to neglect and forget to give it to ourselves. So I'm big on that. But from a more caregiving perspective, I remember um, when you got pregnant and feeling taking more of a caregiving role in that nature. And that's just somebody I care about. And you're pregnant. You had a little bit of a high risk pregnancy. Um, And I remember you going into the hospital when it was time to give birth and me trying to stay there as much as possible and overnight and coming home to set up the house and whatever and going back and, you know, using the hospital for a couple of days. So it was all back and forth, back and forth. Um, How exhausting that was, Uh how draining that was, um, how much you want to be there for your loved ones, but how also um, burdensome it can feel Mm -hmm. like. Um, And a lot of those perspectives that I would never see on the other side of the of the, of the spectrum when I'm sick or in hospital going through something. I really started to experience um, during your pregnancy and things of that nature. Um, one of the things that I realize about caregiving for those you love is that it brings up a lot of fear. Um, it brings up a lot of fear for for me personally speaking. Now, I don't know if this is something you notice, but it seems like every time I find myself in a situation that really calls on me giving that much of myself, mm-hmm. um, it brings up a lot of fear, fear of losing this person, fear of failing as a caregiver, mm-hmm. fear of not being able to provide what it is you think that person may need or um, may need from you or elsewhere. Um, when Zayden was going through it, you know, this, the fear of what, what might be and what that, you know, how it might change our life in the long term, in the short term, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's a very difficult thing to deal with. How do you deal with that as somebody, you who work in the field with social work and you're doing caregiving stuff, you work with volunteers and Alzheimer's and um, all these different populations, you, your life has been very much about revolved around caregiving how do you deal with that um emotional yo-yoing that back and forth and that kind of turmoil you go with go through on the regular well it's funny because i i have a lot of experience with in the field of public health with end of life and um hospice and in the alzheimer's disease communities uh, from a distant kind of way, uh, as a trainer, as a manager, as an administrator, as a supervisor of volunteers. Um, and I've heard a lot of stories from, especially staff, and how they're dealing with this responsibility um, professionally of mm-hmm. taking care of someone, of caring for someone, home health aides, caring for someone to that degree that's that's different i i've seen it differently than when you are taking care of your own and you become a caregiver yourself personally personally Mm -hmm. when you're a caregiver personally um but you've also volunteered 
I, I also volunteered. You know, and I, I did a little bit of volunteering with yeah. VMS mm-hmm. also. Uh, and I had the experience of developing a personal connection with somebody who might be in a situation of yeah. close to death and dying. And yeah. that kind of caregiving is a little bit of difference, almost a little bit of like separation of church and state as far it's, as it's, personal investment goes. It's, I yeah, I I find it to be different, but at the same time, I know for me, it has prepared me to be a better manager, but it also has prepared me to what it's like to be present. And since you don't have that emotional connection, at least in the beginning with visiting patients as a friendly visitor, uh, I was more likely, and I hear volunteers being more likely to be present because it's not their own. And for me, that that um, practice of being present has been a great benefit to being a caregiver personally for me. Uh, I think that's a very valuable point. I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on when we come right back. Um, but I, I do think there is something to say about just being present, that willingness to be present. Absolutely. Because um, I can speak from that from the opposite side of it and. and I can attest to how valuable that is um, in the sense of being provided care for. Yeah. But let's dig into that in just a moment. So this idea of presence during caregiving, um, it really resonated with me because as somebody on the opposite side of the spectrum who has um, needed throughout my life uh, caregivers, who has relied upon the kindness of strangers. No, well, yes, the strangers too, because nurses, doctors, people you don't necessarily know in the typical, but also the kindness of your loved ones. <laughs> um, this idea of presence is a big deal. Like you can feel that energy. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been in states where I'm close to dying. I've been in states stroke. I've been in states where, you know, pneumonia, in and out of consciousness. You've seen all sorts close of- Close to dying? Oh yeah, absolutely. Prior to you, even, yeah. That's how I ended up transitioning from one of my old jobs because I nearly died due to all the all of the stress and stuff that I was under. Anyway, that's a whole nother story. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get into it. But, um, but even with you, you you've been around where uh, when I had that bad infection and I was um, in ICU and they had to do all those blood transfusions and things of that nature. Um, so that said, uh, who can feel that energy? As far as the presence that somebody comes when they bring in, you can feel when somebody's there and they're like bitter about it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, as somebody who's like, if you if you're conscious or cognitive enough, because I've been in states where maybe it wasn't, but when I'm conscious and cognitive enough, you can feel that vibe where it's just like, just go home. You don't want to be here. Just go home. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, when a person, a loved one, does want to be there and they're present with you. Even though you might be in pain, you feel that. You feel that love. Like that's what it feels like. It's love. The the, the per, a person's willingness to be there, mm-hmm. even as you're suffering, just to comfort you like that, just as like communicates love in its highest form. You know, you mm-hmm. there's no expectation that feeling of no expectations, and you're just there, being of comfort. You know, whether or not you can 
provide something or give something, the presence alone is super yeah. valuable. I mean, it is possible to be a, a, a family member who goes to visit someone who's who's in the hospital and feel the same kind of like, why are you here kind of thing? Mm-hmm. If the person feels like it's an obligation, that they yeah. have to do something that they want to do. You can feel that 100%. Yep. And from the perspective of somebody in need or as a patient or something like that nature, um, it brings a whole bitter, like an additional bitter note to already bitter circumstance. Yeah. Like if visiting me or whatever's that burdensome, then just don't come. Like yeah. I'd rather you stay home and get your rest or do what you need to do and you know come to me at a time when you feel more open and and feeling like you want to be there rather than come to me at a point where you're feeling like i don't want to deal with this shit uh, yeah and this person is just a nuisance to me but i'm here just to show face like the effort is always appreciated from from my perspective personally speaking but um it is so much more valuable when you when when that presence yeah. is there and a person yeah. is just willing to just be there in compassion with some sort of love. Yeah. I mean, as a caregiver, I can definitely see the, um, the obligation, feeling obligated to be there mm-hmm. when your body and your mind and your spirit is like, uh, girl, just go home or don't even try it. Or, you know, the greatest um, guy that we have is our bodies. That's what I'm learning. And just not listening to your body that is telling you, you better just get some sleep before you go visit. It's a disservice to yourself to begin with, in addition to a disservice to those that you are visiting. That's that's very true. I think, um, and, and there's times where you make the sacrifice, but you do that willingly, right? Like, I think like when you was in labor and like, uh, he was there for a few days. I had I was running on minimal sleep during that sure. period. Um, and there were moments where I was like, oh, I'm super exhausted. And if I could not go, I'd rather not go. But of course I want to go see the new baby. And yeah. of course I want to see my woman who's like laying up in the hospital. And so you're going to drag yourself out there to be there during that mm-hmm. process. But that's a little different from resenting the fact that you're there. Yeah, um, it is. It is. It is. It is different and willingness which you mentioned before it's so important right you know just being willing to go through especially when you know what's at the end of the tunnel kind of thing like if you know what the end result is and why you're doing this i think like that night was zayden in the hospital um that, that that first night that we were there and you know we left the house that day this was about the longest shopping trip I've ever been on, uh-huh. right? We left this house. It was Sunday morning, and we would just go into the supermarket to go food shopping. And we did not get it done until, like, Monday afternoon or something like that, or Tuesday evening, whatever it was. That night, I remember coming home because we were so unprepared. We were unprepared. We were not planning to go to the doctors. We were not planning all of this other stuff. And when we got there, it was like, do you have his medical insurance card, and the social security card? And, you know, we didn't have any of the things that we would need to be out overnight, you know, as far as, you know, you want to have your phone charges because your phone might die and people trying to reach out to you. You're trying to reach out to family members, let people know what's going on. You want to have clothes, you know, it's cold in the hospital, you know, things of that nature. So I came home while you stayed there 
to kind of get supplies and stuff like that. And I already was feeling kind of burnt out and mm-hmm. it was snowing, it was raining. The last thing I wanted to do was get in the car and drive fucking highway to get to the hospital. <laughs> like, not that, but it was never a resentful thing. It was just saying like, it was definitely one of those moments where mm-hmm. it was, it was like a push through the struggle. Like, yeah. Uh, but you know, it was more important for me to be there and be present when my son and my family was in need um, than you know yeah. anything else. So I mean, you, you make the effort. You, yeah, I mean, every situation is different, and um, and being willing to do it and making making the choice to do it and and take ownership of it is different than making than just doing it because you feel obligated. Choosing to do it. And then being resentful about it is totally true. I think the the, the difference is really uh, owning owning what you have chosen, mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, just focusing on the inconvenience of it. Although you have chosen it, you bitching about it. Right. It's a totally different experience. It's been for me, anyways. I think no. I think you're spot on with that. And I think I think there's something to be said that it's not only for the other person you're giving care for, though, because mm-hmm. that actually plays into yourself um when you're doing something that you're resentful to doing yeah i mean it takes away from your energy it takes away from your ability to actually be there even if like you may be fatigued but you want to do it and you actually are making that effort um physically energetically like you function at a higher place than if you are resentful and bitter about the whole process um so i think you know there's a lot to be said with um uh, a desire or maybe not even a desire but just a willingness to to be there to put forth that effort and um that coming through in your energy and it also it plays better for you <laughs> um you know well, of course because it, it just by making the choice and taking responsibility and ownership of it it's a much more um empowering way of being and it speaks to you taking care of yourself i think especially during when you're going through caregiving stuff i think self-care like i said we talk a lot about this on on the culture of that platforms is a huge thing of mine and i think um and i think self-care especially during the throughout the caregiving process is paramount because mm-hmm. uh, if you can't give yourself care, how can you be? How can you effectively give care to anybody else in those moments, right? Um, so I think, like what you just said, it, it it plays to your ability to take care of yourself throughout mm-hmm. that throughout that process to um, actually be able to whatever whatever it might be yeah. like. Even sleeping in the yeah. hospital that night, you know, and trying to work it out with all of the noise and the beeps and the doctors and nurses coming in at all all sorts of hours. But had I been resentful about having to come back and all this other stuff, like it would have been a completely different experience yeah. than me coming there and knowing, okay, this is going to be a tough night, but I'm here for it. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, even even self care outside of an accident, it's something that. Um, and again, I can speak for myself, it's often dismissed. It is often dismissed. And it's not a priority at all because we are so focused on taking care of the other person. And what I'm finding is that, you know, it's important to look at 
how you care for you, how do you nurture yourself? Mm. Like what makes you, yeah, how do you nurture yourself? In what ways do you nurture yourself? And I'm not talking about just talking about it. I'm talking about actually doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, just finding the time to do it. It's so oh, I have no time. We always run out of time. Well, guess what? You, if you care enough about your well-being, you will find the time. Because sure. you know that the more you spend on taking care of yourself, the more gas you're going to have to be with the other person. Right. And to have more patience. So it just gives you access to more patience, more um, more compassion. Mm-hmm. It gives you access to more joy and more love for yourself, but also for the other person. Absolutely. I think I think self-care is just paramount for life, regardless of um, caregiving or not. But I think, especially during caregiving, um, for caregivers, is very important because, it's like I said earlier in the podcast, it's so easy to um, be focused on giving, 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 and draining yourself, completely depleting yourself um to the point where you know you do a serious disservice mm-hmm. um to your own well-being um, and that that can happen regardless because i think even with this particular accident like after everything was said and done like the last couple of days i've been kind of off my feet because mm-hmm. i was just so depleted i think mm-hmm. <laughs> that like really i crashed all of a sudden i had like mm-hmm. this bad cold flu like it was like as soon as i was like okay Boy's fine. Mm-hmm. Lady's fine. She went to the doctor. The doctor said she was okay. Everything's good. I can breathe. All of a sudden, I crashed. Yeah. <laughs> All I, of a sudden, it was like I was off my, off, off my feet. Yes, it was. I experienced the same thing in terms of, you know, once we finally got home, I was doing dishes, and then my shoulder started to hurt, mm-hmm. and I started feeling tingling on my arms. I'm like, what? It's going on. It was. It was as if. In reality, what I what I experienced was me telling myself, "Okay, so the kid is good. So what's going on with you?" And that's when I started feeling the pain. Right. So I, I I I get it. It's we put ourselves sort of like on the side with reasons, um, and it is important to follow up, follow through. That's why I decided to go to the doctors, although my shoulder wasn't hurting that much. I knew it wasn't anything major, Mm -hmm. but I still wanted to take a look. Well, I'm glad you did. I mean, for me personally, you know, it was important to me. I kept nagging you about it, Mm -hmm. Um, even though, you know, everything appeared okay. You know, the fact that you still just having some pain, Mm -hmm. I I wanted to see, make sure that was getting checked out. And we're still going through a lot of the rigmarole. Like, I still got to go to precinct and do all the accident stuff but the main my main concern which was my family's well-being that being addressed it was like yeah okay now yeah now able to breathe and you start to look at yourself a little bit more yeah well going to the doctors and taking a nap and getting some rest is all part of self-care and i think yeah it's it's super important which is very much why like even when like i'm i've been in the hospital and there have been times where you're like baby i'm tired or something i'm like just go home get some rest i know me you know us guys we get we become babies when we sick and we become real Mm -hmm. big babies when uh you know we feel in need you know Mm -hmm. we want we want our significant others or even our family members to come and you know take care of the baby um 
I'm on, I'm on front. I, I'm a I'm a big wuss when I get. You want attention? Attention. Yeah, I want some attention. I want some attention. love and all that good stuff. But uh, even through throughout those moments, I'm always very mindful to be like, "Listen, go get your rest. Or, are you sure. doing okay? What you're doing a lot right now. Take it easy or whatever. Like I'll, I'll be okay. I can manage. Or you know, go do what you got to do, and I can be here in the house and do what I need to do with myself. I'll mm-hmm. be okay. So it's, it's very important for me to make sure that the people. Who are giving care to me are giving that same or similar quality of care for mm-hmm. themselves because especially because I you know even from a selfish perspective listen I, I want you to give care to me but you can't do it if you feel like shit so you know go get your sleep feel better then get your ass back over here <laughs> talk about expectations <laughs> Yeah, but no, I mean these these are the, these are some of the things that goes through. So, um, so there's something else that I want to get get into with the self care thing because you do you do a lot of quality work around that. Mm-hmm. Um, with your life coaching practice, mm-hmm. uh, freshaircoach.com. If you haven't checked it out, that's fresh a e r air coach.com. Um, she has amazing, she does amazing quality work, life coaching stuff. Mm-hmm. But you've got an amazing workshop coming up specifically revolved around this subject. So it's kind of weird. Yeah. Well, not even weird, but the synchronicities of it all that we go through this and it really puts a focus on the kind of care we're giving to mm-hmm. ourselves. But at the same time, you're building this kind of workshop mm-hmm. for caregivers. Mm-hmm. So um, I would love it if you break down a little bit more about that sure so um one of my offerings as a life coach is uh to offer women's circles and this particular women's circle is for what i call women's circles for curious caregivers Mm -hmm. and i decided to call it curious because it's really it, it really takes some curiosity and some willingness to take a look mainly to take a look at your relationship to yourself as a woman, as a mother, as a caregiver overall, to take a look um, in service of your well-being. I am promoting self-love and connection to source. From my own experience, I believe that the reason why my caregiving experience is different is because I chose to look within and I chose to utilize the messages, the wisdom that I get just by being connected to my inner self, my higher self, God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. is within all of us. It's our right to have it, to be it. Mm-hmm. So I found that it's been a key for me to to live a more fulfilling life. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to create this women's circle for women, caregiver, either professional or personally or both, for women who really want to take a look at their relationship to themselves and also their relationship to caregiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think um, this reminds me because, and fellas, you know, this is the call to dad, you know, but we support our women here, right? Like we're, we're, we're being our best selves. Hopefully that opens up the space that they can be their best selves. Um, but she's talking about this specific woman's circle that she's mm-hmm. she's been developing, which is awesome. But I don't want the guys to feel neglected because I've also done like self-care workshops for men and of you know, um, all about that over here. But I think um, 
I assume you're going to be touching upon a lot of the points that we talked about today sure. as far as the self-care, yes. the going within to uh, realize you know, what they're bringing to the table of with course. those particular situations yeah. and things of that nature. It's going to be a small group. I want through coaching, through mindfulness practices, mm. through writing, the idea is for us to come together so that we can uh, normalize things as caregivers, but also take away something that we want to create from it. And again, my main focus is practicing self-love, looking within, and connecting to source as a resource, as a tool in yeah. order to move forward. It's going to um, start on April 2nd. It will be for five weeks. Mm. Location will be in Manhattan. Uh, five weeks, 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. And in addition to five group gatherings, uh, I'm also offering two... Uh, so it's once a week? It's once a week. For five, for five weeks. weeks. Okay. And in addition to that, um, I'm also offering two coaching sessions with me. Right. The coaching sessions could be in the beginning of it, it could be in the middle, but definitely at the end of it. So you can kind of monitor uh, each participant's kind of growth and how they're implementing the tools and the skill sets you're providing, um, and working with them, and kind of just some accountability. Add, adding to adding to the, the work you yeah. together in the group sessions. It will be some accountability, but I most of all, some uh, partnership. Yeah, that, I think that's so dope. So, um, if any of y'all are interested in that, because I think this type of work is so paramount for obviously for caregivers, but for definitely for parents, um, be sure to check out her website in regards to that if you want to sign up or participate. But with the work that I do with self care, I'll probably be looking at bringing back my the the uh, men's self care workshops uh, later in the summer. But you know, maybe down the line, we'll figure out mm -hmm. a way that we can work together and, and bridge the gap. We can mm -hmm. do some, we can do some cool stuff mm -hmm. for just parents, um, mix it up, both genders. Uh, there's no really limit to it. The, I, the, the idea. idea is that mm -hmm. people need to give themselves self care and love as much as they give to others, especially so that they can mm -hmm. give a deeper. A more connected quality of love and of themselves yeah. to others and bring to these situations. So um, I think that's dope, babe. Yeah. I, I fully you. support you. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. <laughs> so uh, that's it for today's episode, y'all. But uh, Destiny wanted to kind of touch base with the Cult of Dad fam, let y'all know what's going on. I know people who been loving how much content we've been pumping out, especially in 2019, getting really consistent, um, dropping weekly content for y'all, social media, um, the, the website, articles and blogs, weekly podcasts. We got videos coming for you soon, so be sure to keep tuning in, cultureofdad.com, um, or just search for us, Cult of Dad, uh, and you'll find us on all social media platforms. But um, to tie things up in a knot, be sure also to check out Allison at Fresh Air Coach. That's Fresh, F-R-E-S-H, Air, A-E-R, Coach, C-O-A-C-H.com. Um, Check out her workshop. She's doing amazing work. She's a bomb-ass life coach. It sucks that I can't work with her. I don't think I would want to work with her because we're so personally connected. But I see the growth and the clients and stuff. So, you know, I definitely vouch for her. Um, is there anything else you want to want to sign us off with, babe? Thank you. Well, I also want to say just take care of yourselves and take care of your children and just, just be mindful. Just pay attention. Be present. Mm. 
Great way to sign up, babe. Be good to yourself, y'all. Remember, you are the culture that is the cult of dad. Much love.